So the Sermon on the Mount, if you've got your Bibles, we're in Matthew chapter 6 today. Um, But the Sermon on the Mount includes Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And as we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, what we now call the Sermon on the Mount, we see that Jesus is helping us understand, here's what life is like in the kingdom of God. Here's how we think. Here's how we feel. Here's how we talk. Here's how we interact and and behave towards one another in the kingdom of God. And he's always contrasting that with, now here's how people outside of the kingdom of God think and feel and act and talk and interact with one another. Here's what life's like in the kingdom, and here's what life is like in the world. And throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he's constantly going back and forth. So we talked about anger a few weeks ago. So here's what it looks like to be angry in the kingdom of God. Here's how we act. And here's how people are angry, and here's how they act outside of the kingdom of God. And we notice that as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks a lot about how we interact with one another, but he also talks how we interact with him. We touched on worry last week. Worry has a lot to do with our relationship with God, our trust of God, that he is faithful and he'll do exactly as he promised. Today, we're going to see Jesus really lean in and focus on our relationship with God. God. Matthew chapter 6, here's what it looks like to interact with God as you are part of the kingdom of God. Here's what he says. We're going to read just a few uh, words, and then we're going to talk through it just a little bit. Matthew chapter 5 or 6, starting in verse 5. When you pray, when you pray. Now hold up there because he's going to talk a whole lot about that here in a second. When you pray, just when we say the word pray, it can feel extremely complicated. It can feel a little out there even of, well, how am I exactly supposed to pray? And when are we supposed to pray? In fact, I know this because I, as a pastor, as a professional pastor, that means I am also the designated prayer guy anywhere that I go. When we go and visit family and we stand around and we're all getting ready to eat, we are like, well, we should probably pray. And so then we stand and guess where all the eyes go? Yeah, they go to me. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll pray. When we're around our own dinner table in our own home, We sit around and I'll look at our kids. Who wants to pray? And immediately they go eyes down. (laughs) I'm like, really? This doesn't look good for me. (laughs) If I'm out in any of the community organizations, a part of Chamber, I'm part of Rotary, I'm part of all these different organizations. So of course, before we start, it's, Pastor Brian, would you pray for us? And inside of me, I mean, I absolutely love it. So please don't take this the wrong way. I love the opportunity to pray any chance that I get. But part of me inside is like, you know, you guys can do this too. Like, I don't have a degree in praying at all. (laughs) So this is something we all can do. In fact, we're all supposed to. In fact, Jesus says, when you pray, not if you pray or when your pastor prays, when that other spiritually mature person prays. No, like when you pray. But I know it carries a lot of baggage with it too. Carries a lot of baggage. So here's what I want us to think through. And these questions are going to be the backdrop of everything we talk through over the next few minutes. Let me put them up on the screen, uh, read through them, and I want you to start thinking of your answers. So where did you learn to pray? Where did you learn to pray? Some people learn from a parent. Some people learn from church. Some people learn from the movies. Some people just learn by trial and error. I mean, where did you truly learn to pray? And I'm sure there's several over the years that you could start to compile. How do you pray? Start thinking through. What are your methods of praying? Is it fold your hands, close your eyes, bow your head? How do you pray? Are you on your knees? What are the types of words that you begin to use? How do you pray? What do you pray for? 
Maybe even just thinking currently, like, what are you asking for? What are you praying for? What are you coming to God with currently? What do you pray for? And maybe the most important question, why do you pray? Why do you pray? I think all of those questions of where you learn to pray, how you pray, what you're praying for, they probably all help shape and mold that last answer. Well, I pray because I need these things to happen in my life. I pray for the, I pray because I, I'm told to pray. I pray because that's how I was raised. I pray because, like, what's your because? And those answers to your questions, I'm not saying they're bad or wrong, but I am asking, me included, can we hold the answers to those questions a little bit loose this morning? Because my guess, and I put myself in this as well, that just on and how we've learned to pray, how we've gotten used to praying, the trends that we follow within praying, the traditions of praying, like those are not necessarily bad, but could they be tweaked a little bit? In other words, could we be a little bit better in our prayers? Not better as, ooh, using much bigger, more Christian words, because throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus continually looks at the heart. So that's what I'm hoping we can do this morning as we see how Jesus talks about prayer. Here's how prayer looks in the kingdom of God, what he would desire. But as we know, he's going to contrast it with, well, here's how people outside of the kingdom tend to approach prayer as well. So when you pray. Now, let me give you a heads up on the structure of how Jesus is going to talk about this. Right? I'll give you the outline of Jesus's prayer sermon right here. He's going to say, here's how you don't pray, and here's how you pray. And then he's going to do it again in a different example. So here's how you don't pray, but this is how you pray. You're going to see him do that twice. When you pray, don't pray like this. When you pray, pray like this. And he gives another example. When you pray, make sure you don't pray like this. Instead, I want you to pray like this. So be looking for that. There's your outline for how Jesus is going to walk through it. Let's look at it. Matthew 6, verse 5. Let's finish that sentence. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. So there's the first, when you pray, don't pray like this. And he calls out and uses a name, the hypocrites. Now, typically Jesus does this in reference to the Pharisees or the religious leaders. The idea behind a hypocrite is the inside and the outside don't match at all. And the hypocrites, the religious leaders that he's pointing out, they love to pray in public. Again, there's nothing wrong with praying in public, so you're not off the hook necessarily. But it's the heart. It's are you praying in public so that everybody notices you? Are you praying in public so everybody's impressed with all of your big words? Are you praying to impress people? Are you praying to connect with God? And he says the hypocrites are praying for that reason of, 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 of acknowledgement, of being noticed so that other people are impressed with them. And Jesus says, don't pray like that. The inside, the heart, has to also match the outside. Here's the best way I know how to describe a hypocrite for us, just so we're all on the same page. You're to go to your local grocery store, pick up a bag of chips. Now, by the outside, this bag of chips looks amazing. It looks full. You feel like you're getting your full money's worth. But then when you open this bag of chips, the word disappointment comes to mind. So out of this full bag... 
that's how much you're actually getting. I mean, I, I, that's, that is a little less than half than this entire bag. Can we just rant for a moment here? Like, what's the point of this? It fills up so much space on the shelf, and we look at this, and we're looking at the price, and we're looking at the chips, and we're like, oh, that's such a big bag. That's totally worth the money. Until you get home, you dump it out, and you're like, really, that's it. That's it. That's all I get. There's no way that that is everything that should have fit in this. Where's the rest of it? They figured it out, haven't they? They figured that they could show us something on the outside and then recognize the realities a little bit later. That's the definite, not that I have anything against Totitos, Tostitos and Kroger chips, maybe a little bit. But that's a hypocrite where the inside and the outside, they don't match. What you see is not what you actually get. There ends up being a discrepancy there. And Jesus is like, don't pray like them. May what's inside of you, may your heart match the words that you're speaking. May your heart be the focus of your prayers, not so that everybody would notice you. Then Jesus does something. He actually does this a second time. We'll see in a second. He uses the word reward. Did you catch that? Let me read it again. It says, don't pray like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. They're about recognition. They're about being noticed by people. Then Jesus says, I tell you the truth. That is all the reward they will ever get. Now, the word reward is not maybe what you're thinking. Typically, we think of reward as like a prize. You work really hard and you get some kind of reward. You do something special, you get a reward. The word reward simply just means to give back, to give back. So when the, the Pharisees or these hypocrites are praying to be noticed, what do they get back? The only thing that they were hoping for. That's why Jesus says, that's the only reward they will get. In other words, yeah, people will notice them. People might even be impressed by their words, but God's not impressed. So what's their reward? What do they receive from praying like that? All they get is recognition from people, which is not the point of prayer, obviously. So he says, that's the only thing they're going to get back. So remember the outline. Don't pray like this. Let's see the other side. So here's how Jesus says, but instead you're gonna, he wants you to pray like this. Verse six, but when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything, here's this word again, will reward you. You see the contrast there? The hypocrites pray on the street corners and in the synagogues, these big, loud, fancy prayers but it doesn't match their heart. So Jesus says, no, 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 I want you to pray in private. Again, don't miss, it's not a public prayers are bad and private prayers are good. No, he's focusing on these two extremes here. Because notice what has to happen in order to pray in private. In order to pray in private, you have to take the time. You can't hurry up and pray in private. So there is a time factor that's actually pretty important. So often we have reduced, and, and I don't think we do this intentionally, we, we unintentionally reduce our prayers to like wishful thinking in the moment. Because yes, you can pray anywhere at any time. We are called, told to pray on all occasions for, with all kinds of requests. So are we supposed to never pray in the moment, these short, quick prayers? No, of course not. But I feel like those are the easy ones to do. So all of a sudden we only pray those quick, in-the-moment, wishful-thinking prayers. 
And all of a sudden, this deep and meaningful prayer dialogue between us and our creator, us and our heavenly father gets reduced to prayers like, I really hope I get, oh, sorry, I really pray I get the right parking spot. Or we start praying for good weather. We pray that things work out well. We pray that, and we pray these kind of reduced prayers. Not that it, and can you pray for good weather? Sure. But is that the kind of dialogue your heavenly father desires to have with you? I think he wants a lot more than just, let's talk about the weather. Let's worry about your parking spots later. He wants a deep, meaningful relationship and conversation with you. And to have that, you do have to take some time away. We do that with our other relationships, spouses and kids, friendships. We take time away. We have intentional time with them to not just be hi and bye, how was your day, I'll see you later. If that's the only conversations you ever have with God, you're gonna be missing out on what he truly desires to have with you. So the location does have something to do with it here. It's not just real quick in the moments. It's take the time to go in private, shut the door, maybe be on your knees before him for a little bit. And yes, it's going to take time. And yes, it requires intentionality. And yes, it's gotta take some time within your schedule but he desires that kind of a relationship. So the location has something to do with it. He also mentions a name twice. Do you remember what it was? What was the name? Pray to who? Father, yes, your father. Now side note here, this would be so good for you to do this week. Not just what we're reading here starting in verse five, all of chapter six. It would be worth your time going through and circling the word father every time you see it come up all of chapter six, you're going to see Jesus use father again and again and again and again and again. And he's highlighting who God is to us, which is so important when we recognize who we're praying to. He says, so when you pray, pray to your father in private. Then your father says it back to back. Who sees everything will reward you. The name there is important. This was a long time ago, years and years ago, um, when I was a youth pastor, actually. I was on a plane, and uh, typically when I'm on, this is why I do this now. Every time I get on a plane, I immediately put my headphones in so this never happens again. Um, I did not do that this one time. I get on, and the person next to me just was a chatterbox. Just this guy loved to talk. He was talking up a storm. And man, he was not just talking up a storm. He was cussing up a storm. He was complaining. I don't know exactly what it was all about, but he was not doing very well. <laughs> and he decided to let me know about everything. So he was just laying it all out and talking, 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 talking. I'm just like, again, this was years ago as a youth pastor. I'm like, I don't know what to do right now. This is super weird. And somehow in this one-way conversation, he pauses long enough to look at me and say, so what do you do? And I say, um, I'm a youth pastor. His eyes got huge. Uh, man, I'm so sorry about all of that. I didn't mean to say those things. And in fact, my wife and I have really been thinking about getting back into church. And, and I'm like, what? What just happened? I'm like, that's not true at all. Maybe, maybe not. I don't. And so then the conversation kind of continued a little bit as we now shifted focus less on his complaints and more about his spiritual needs, apparently. And then it just got real awkward and quiet. I'm like, <laughs> read my book. <laughs> Isn't it interesting, though? When you realize who you're talking to, how the conversation changes. Right? When we recognize who we're talking to, something changes. In fact, a couple things change. How we talk begins to change, 
I didn't hear that guy say another cuss word the rest of the flight as soon as he found out I'm a pastor. But then also what we talk about, the content begins to change. And I say that's important because Jesus makes it very clear that we're praying to God, our heavenly father. And we recognize that he's our father. How we talk to him begins to change. What we talk about begins to change. Imagine a conversation you would have with a celebrity and how different that conversation would be versus the customer service representative on the phone. It would be a little bit different. The celebrity, you're in awe and just amazed that you're in the same room with them or on the phone with them or being able to talk with them. The customer service representative, you're frustrated with because they're not giving you what you want. Compare that to a conversation with your boss. You could go through all these different types of relationships you could have and how you talk. And the content of which you're talking about changes based on who you're talking to. So what changes now that we recognize from Jesus that we are in conversation with God, our heavenly father? That should change how we talk. It should change what we talk about. Again, may it be more than just the weather. So let me give you two thoughts on God being our heavenly father and what that, what that helps us with. First, it's, it's showing us how he relates to us, that God loves you and cares for you as a father should. I feel like I need to add the word should in there because there's plenty of instances and examples and situations where you might look at me and say, yeah, if God's comparing himself to a father, I don't want to have anything to do with that. So let me just say it's as a father should. He's the ultimate example of a father. And you might not have a good example to go off of. That's why we have this, to see what kind of father he truly is, to love you and care for you as a father should. In fact, if you flip over, just like, well, at least in my Bible, it's one other page. Matthew chapter seven, it's not on the screen, so let me just read this for you. He continues, Jesus continues talking about this relationship, this prayer relationship between us and our father. Chapter 7 out of Matthew, verse 9. You parents, he's given another example. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you, sinful people, know how to give good gifts to your children, rhetorical question, here it is, how much more will your heavenly Father, there it is again, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? He's saying, I'm a good father. I'm going to give you what you need, not always what you want, but I'm not going to give you a stone if you're asking for bread. I'm not giving you a snake if you're asking for fish. Obviously, I would never do that. Of course not, Jesus says. He's the father that cares for you and loves you. And so often we feel, I don't know if it's intimidated or if it's we feel bad of bringing all these burdens to God. But again, he's our father. He desires that as a dad, I want my kids to bring their problems to me. I want them to let me in. I want to know about all the good and bad. In fact, one of our family questions at our dinner table, I kid you not, is how did you fail today? I want to know. First of all, I want them to be okay failing in things. But I want them to let me into the difficult parts of their life where they might be ashamed, where they feel bad, where they didn't measure up. I want to be brought into that as their dad to help walk them through it. So often we don't want to bring those things to God. Let me read this. D.L. Moody, he said it this way. 
Some people think God does not like to be troubled with our constant coming and asking. The way to trouble God is not to come at all. You want to trouble God? Just don't come to him. He desires your troubles. He desires to be let in to those parts of your life and those parts of your heart because that's what a father does. But it's not just his relationship with us. It's also reciprocated because he is our heavenly father. It also changes how we approach God. So yes, he loves us and cares for us like a father should. As a child of God, we obey and depend on God as a child should. We play the child role in this relationship, which means, yes, there is an authoritative position of a father. He says something, we trust him and we obey. That trust and obey is a big part of a father-child relationship. But there's also a dependence. We've been talking tons about dependence on God throughout this entire series. What does a child do? Depends on their parents, depends on their father. There's so much a child cannot do on their own, should not even try to do on their own. And that's where God says, yes, that's my job. So come to me, depend on me. We talked a ton about that last week in regards to worry. Whereas we trust him, we can depend on him because he is good and he is faithful. Our role becomes that. We trust him, we obey him, and we depend on God as a child most certainly does. So just the fact of Jesus saying, pray to your heavenly father, the choice word of father, instead of all the other names and titles and positions that Jesus could have picked for God, could have said master, could have said Adonai, could have said Lord almighty, could have said king of kings, could have said creator, could have said all these different names of God or positions and titles of God. Imagine how differently your prayer life would have been or would be if Jesus, instead of using Father, just kept saying Master. Well, most certainly God is our Master, but the relationship is more than just that. What if it was just Creator? He is that, but our relationship is so much more than just Creator and creation. Jesus said Father, because that's how He relates to us, and it's how He desires us to relate to Him as well. We see that word reward again. Did you catch that? We talked about what they got back, the hypocrites received back. What about those that pray to God their Father in a way where their heart aligns with His? It says, He sees everything and will reward you. What does God give back? Not necessarily everything you're praying for. Please don't misread this. He's talking about the relationship. See, before, the hypocrites were all about impressing other people to grow that relationship. And God's like, that doesn't impress me. But when you come to me and your heart is aligned with mine, I get to lean in. The reward we get for praying like this is a deeper, more meaningful relationship with God. So you see in the outline, don't pray like this, but pray like this. Now he's going to do it again with a different example. Here's the second time around. Verse 7, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. So we have another example. So don't be like the hypocrites 
who pray big and loud in public and their hearts don't match. Don't pray like that. Instead, pray in private, pray with a sincere heart. Then he goes back, he says, so when you pray, don't babble on and on like the Gentiles. It's interesting that Jesus is giving two examples, one within the Jewish tradition and one with everybody else. A Gentile is anybody that's not a Jew. And even Gentiles had gods that they would pray to. So he pulls prayers from the Jews and pulls prayers from everybody else and is pointing at both saying, yeah, not like those. <laughs> not like you. No one's getting this right, in other words. And he looks at the Gentiles and he's like, all they're doing is just babbling on and on. They think if they're using special words that then the right answers come out. And the idea here is prayer is not a machine. It's not if you put in the right words the right time, in the right ways, and the right regularity, repeating them enough, 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 then finally, guess what you'll get? You'll get your answer. And that's how a lot of the pagan religions, that's how they revolve around, is this idea of praying the right words, in the right way, the right time, the right frequency, and then you'll get your answer. And guess what? If you don't get the right answer, then you gotta go back because you did something wrong. It's a formula, it's an equation, it's a machine. And God's like, that's not how it's supposed to work. That's not how I've designed prayer to work. I was given this as a gift actually last Christmas by somebody at church. I told a story about gooey pancakes, if you're here for that one. So I actually got a pancake recipe book. I thought it was pretty good, <laughs> which we use. So three of our favorite, I'll just share these with you, three of our favorite family recipes out of this pancake uh, recipe book. The first one is the cinnamon, cinnamon apple pancake recipe. Cinnamon apples are great. This one, the name's just fun. Da Bomb Buttermilk Pancake Recipe. And then the last one, I mean, they are good. I don't know if I'd say they're like the bomb, but they're pretty good. The last one is the soft and fluffy pancakes. That's probably one of our favorites. And I say that because if you want the soft and fluffy pancakes, it's very specific on what you have to have, what you have to do in order to have that specific result. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but you can imagine what you need for soft and fluffy buttermilk pancakes. I see all the ingredients. I see all the directions, and it's not just directions, it's step by step. You've got to do it the right way every time. And as long as you follow the instructions, you will have soft and fluffy pancakes every single time. And if you don't have soft and fluffy pancakes, we'll go back because you did something wrong. You have the wrong ingredients, you didn't follow the right steps, you messed something up in the process. Church, that's not how our prayers are intended to work. That's not how God designed our prayers to work. It's not say the right things the right way at the right time and so on. It's not do it right and you will get the right answer you want. No, he's like, I want your heart. He goes back to heart. Again, he uses the word father again to reinforce that relationship. He says, don't pray like that. But then as we know the outline goes, he gives us an example on how to pray. This will probably sound a little bit more familiar. And this is in context. If you've heard this next section before, oftentimes we pull this a little out of context. It's important to know that Jesus is using this as an example, and specifically this example. So don't be like them. Your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Verse 9, pray like this. So don't pray like that. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven... May your name be kept holy. Some of you memorize that as hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need 
And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. What do we call that? The what? The Lord's Prayer. Do you know the Lord's Prayer was actually Jesus giving us an example of how to pray? Don't miss this. This is not the recipe for prayer. This is not the machine of prayer. As long as you recite that prayer, you're good. No, he just got finished saying, like, don't pray like that. So he gives us a guide if you want to view it like that. And we could spend, that's a whole other sermon, a whole other topic. If you've got a lot of questions, I'd love to answer it. But we could go line by line on what did Jesus really mean when he said, we start with our Father in heaven. We talked a lot about the word Father already. May your name be kept holy. It's about your kingdom. It's about your will. So what I want to do is I'm going to simplify it just a little bit. There's so much more in here. We don't have time for it. But it really splits up into two parts. And they're split up based on two different words. Your and us. Did you catch that? Let me put this up on the screen. This will help you kind of separate it. The very first part, the first section of what we now call the Lord's Prayer, Jesus makes it very clear who we're focused on. God, who's our heavenly father. May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's nothing in there about me, about us, about I, about my, has nothing to do with me. It's all about him. This first section, what we call the Lord's Prayer, is about us surrendering to him. It's your will. It's your name. It's your kingdom. He says, if you want to pray, not like a machine where it spits out the answer you're hoping for, if you want to truly have a dialogue and a prayer life that's meaningful and rich and deep, start with surrender. Saying, this is about you, not me. Yes, we come with requests. We're going to get to that in a second, but that's not the first part. The first part is recognizing who God is. He's our heavenly father. And we get to surrender to him. Then the second part, it changes, doesn't it? It goes from all the you's telling now look at the next part of it. Give us today the food we need. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. Don't let us yield or give in to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Now we are talking about us. I do think it's interesting that he doesn't use the word me. I think there is something about an us. So the prayers for that, for the provision, the prayers for forgiveness are not isolated to Brian Haas, but all of humanity. God, would you help us? Heavenly Father, would you forgive us? Heavenly Father, would you provide for us? And yes, that includes me. I am part of us, but would you help all of us? So now it focuses, the shift goes from surrendering to dependence, to dependence. In other words, God, I'm coming to you because I cannot do this on my own. Once again, a relationship a child has with a father. God, if you don't show up, man, I, I'm not going to make it through, through today. God, if you don't show up, I, I don't have provision for today. God, if you don't show up, I don't have forgiveness and mercy today. God, if you don't show up, I'm not going to be able to forgive others today. God, if you don't show up, I don't know how I'm going to make it through. Dependence. And that's the point here. I hope 
that that one word radically changes your prayer life. Father, how we pray to him, why we pray to him. In fact, remember those questions we asked at the very beginning? I'll put them back on the screen for you because I hope they may be changed a little bit or maybe are in the process of changing. It's gonna take more than a 30-minute message to, to walk through all of that. Where did you learn to pray? I hope the answer becomes Jesus. Not my parents, not this movie I saw. <laughs> Sweet baby Jesus. That's not what Jesus was getting to. <laughs> not an ounce little baby Jesus. No, not how you start. <laughs> Makes for a funny movie, not helpful in growing your prayer life. So where do you learn to pray? You learn to pray from Jesus. How do you pray? With the right heart. Doesn't have to be in public, doesn't always have to be in private, should be in private some though. So how do you pray? With your heart, because it's what God cares about. What do you pray for? His will to be done. His kingdom come his name to be glorified. It's a focus on surrender. And yes, there's also the dependence. Or I also pray that he would do what a father does, that he would take care of us. But I want to ask the last one, and I want to hang out here just for a little, another minute or two. Why do you pray? So often we pray because we're supposed to, pray because we're told to, we pray because we're hoping to get what we want, we pray because we have nothing else to offer and it's our last resort. In fact, I would even state that Jesus throws this in for a pretty good reason. I don't know if you caught this or not. Verse eight, don't be like them talking about the, the babbling Gentiles. Don't pray like them. Your father, look, your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Let me play devil's advocate. So why pray then? If he knows exactly what we need before we even ask, why even bother? I'm not saying I have the answer, but I want to tell you how I answer that question. And I would hope that you would, in prayer, wrestle through that for yourself as well. For me, I pray because it aligns my heart with God's. When I pray, your will be done, your kingdom come, it puts everything that I want on the back burner. That's a good thing. I pray because it gets my thoughts focused on the things of God. When I'm in a moment of complaining, when I'm in a moment of worry or anxiety or discouragement, the moment I start praying, all of a sudden my thoughts start to focus on the things of heaven, not the things of this earth, and it changes our perspective. I pray because it slows me down. We go through life very quickly, very hurried. You study the life of Jesus. He didn't hurry. In fact, he took a lot of time to go away and pray. There's something about slowing you down to hear the voice, the still, quiet voice of God. So it slows me down. To have an intentional prayer life will slow you down. Ultimately, though, it comes back to that one word, Father, because he's my Father, and he loves to hear from me, and I love to talk to him, and I love to hear from him. See, I don't talk to God and pray to him to inform him of my day. By the way, if you missed it, here's what happened. <laughs> and it's not to try to impress him with all my big fancy words. It's to just be with him. And as a dad, man, that's all I want with my kids. Don't try to impress me. 
I don't need to know the facts of your life. I just want to be in your life. And that's what God desires for us. So I wanna give you a moment. Typically, I end by praying altogether. I'm kind of tired of praying publicly today. I've done it a bunch of times already. So I wanna give you a private moment to pray with your heavenly father. So if you would close your eyes and bow your heads, not because you have to, but because it helps remove distractions. And before we sing this last song, would you just take a quiet moment or two and pray to your heavenly father?